Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take three books this semester, one chapter a week, to really dig in and understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and today's episode is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, From Persecution to Promise. Well, I am so glad to be back with y'all. We had a week off um, in between books, and we are just going to move right along into 2 Thessalonians. Now, if you are just joining us and you haven't done 1 Thessalonians, I encourage you to go back and um, listen to the introduction, the first episode, because I give you a lot of the background knowledge, and we're just not going to spend a lot of time here because it's really more of the same. Um Paul, Timothy, and Silas had started this church in Thessalonica, and then shortly after they started it, about three weeks into it, they were chased out of town, and then at some point, Paul sends Timothy back to help lead and guide them, and Timothy is going back and forth between Thessalonica and Corinth, where Paul is, and he's giving them reports, and so... Paul is responding to the news that he heard, and he's just completely um, excited and joyful over this church and the growth that they have. But as any baby um, Christian, or if you're a baby at anything, he is writing back with some correction. A lot of times I, um, I correlate this with going to the gym. Uh, I think that there's so many correlations between our Christian walk and working out. And when you go to a gym and you're lifting weights, there's a, I mean, there's a way that you have to do it or you'll injure yourself. Just like in our Christian walk, there's a way that we, you have to walk or you'll go down the wrong path and injure yourself. And so when you go to the gym, you are cheered on and people are excited, especially when they see growth, but they're constantly tweaking the way that you stand, where you put your hands, how, um, where your hips are, where your feet are planted, all of these things, they have to bring correction to you so that you can be a better athlete. Well, the same thing is true in our Christian walk. While Paul is so excited and cheering him on, he's constantly tweaking their theology so that they will stay on track. So this letter is really one of elation. He is very, very excited and encouraged about what's happening. So immediately he introduces himself along with Timothy and Silas, who play an important role in this early church. Um, he is he greets them um, in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then his typical greeting, grace to you and peace to our God and Father. Grace to you is a very common Greek way of greeting um, people through a letter, and peace from God, shalom, is a very Jewish way of greeting. And so he includes these in most of his letters. And so I'm going to go ahead and get started in verse three. He says, we must always thank God for you, brothers. This is right. Since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you have for one another is increasing. So this is again, a common theme that we saw in the last, in the last book, but we also see it in a lot of Paul's letters that he he feels bound. One translation said, we are bound to thank God. Like this 
is a strong obligation, but it's an obligation that comes with joy, not I've got to thank God for y'all because that's what he expects. That's not it is because he is growing in sanctification and becoming more like God. God is pleased with his church and it's just an overflow in Paul's heart that he's pleased and he can't help but thank God. And he he addresses them as brothers. Now, this is an issue going along. There's some false teachers in um, traveling around and they are leading some of these Thessalonians to be a little fearful. Like maybe they missed the day of the Lord. They missed, um, they, they, they missed this great coming of the Lord. And so they're a little bit worried, but he's like, no, you are brothers. You belong in the family. You belong to God. And again, I am working at making thankfulness for other believers as intentional as Paul. I think it pleases the heart of God. And I think that that is something that we lose sight of in our busy, egocentrical um, society. And I just love that we see it over and over. Spurgeon said, it is not only a pleasurable exercise, talking about thanking God for other people, but the absolute duty of a Christian life to praise God. We have to thank our brothers and sisters that are growing. He tells them what he's thankful for. He said that your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is increasing. This is such a neat answer to prayer because we see that Paul prayed for both of these things in 1 Thessalonians. He was praying for these and he has seen it come to fruition. Now this flourishing in faith, there is a Greek word that is unusual here and only used here and it's used to describe a vigorous growth. So their faith is growing and maturing at this rapid speed. And so we need to take a look at this because don't we want to be the same people that our faith is described as something flourishing? Well, one, they're in the word. And two, they are in community with other believers. These are two, not exclusive. There's more things that we can do to flourish our faith, but we see as evidence here in the Thessalonican church that the word brings power to flourish and community with other believers or some, is something that's so powerful. We have to place ourselves in these places. Where is the word being taught? Where is the word being studied? Where is the word being talked about? We need to insert ourselves there, but we also need to be inserting ourselves in a community of like-minded believers, and we see that this is God's will, and people, um, we need to be in places with people who encourage us, teach us, correct us, challenge us. Now, I will say that I can be quite a bit of a challenger. I'm so appreciative of my team because anyone that wants to be a part of this Bible nerd ministry that um, we, we feel like, yes, yes, come on, um, come be a part of the team. I truly challenge to get out of their comfort zones, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, but that is just something that I like to do, <laughs> and, um, you know, I like to see people grow. I like to see people get out of their comfort zones um, because it's something that none of us really want to do willingly, but everybody needs a cheerleader, and then just to see the growth in people and the confidence in the Lord that people have once they step out, and usually it is they already have that gift, and typically when somebody says yes, 
and then they operate in the gift, we are all blown away with just how beautiful and powerful that gift is because they're humble and they're, they're spending so much time in preparation and in prayer and leaning on the Lord that it really is a beautiful thing. So find a tribe of people that will help encourage you and challenge you. The next thing um, that we had also mentioned was their love. Their love was, let's see how he worded it here. Um, Oh, their love for one another was increasing. This is going to look different with different people. Everyone has a different way of loving. And so we need to be um, aware of that. Oh, my goodness. I think of the books that were popular, you know, when I first got married, like the five love languages where you took a test and you saw like I I am a words of um, what's that word? Words of affirmation. <laughs> oh, I just went blank. Uh, it, and it's so funny to me because, oh, my gosh, you can build me up with words and like I treasure every single one. Sometimes I might even type it in my phone as encouragement later. Um, you know, you can send me a text. I'm probably going to save that in some notes because that really hits hard to me. And I can remember um, doing some marriage counseling with a newlywed couple and the husband would, that was his love language. So he would affirm his wife, you know, this meal is so good. And I remember her saying, words mean nothing to me. You could just say those and not mean them. And how she had a different love language and literally something that was so great in my heart meant nothing to her. So thank goodness that God created us all differently. But I was just kind of sitting back and thinking, um, the people that are in our circle, like, wow, they are increasing in love. And I love just watching that um, their love just pour out into the community. But right, we had a, a, a tornado recently and um, we were going to help a family and we didn't really know them, but we knew, you know, I, I know of them and I knew that they needed help. And I reached out to our group of friends that I knew would want to help, but I didn't really know what we could do. Um, you know, I just said, Hey, can you be available? Let's all meet at their house and let's do whatever. And everybody was like, yeah, we're on board. Well, then the moment that we found out that there was about 20 trees that needed to be chainsawed, like really hard work, you would not believe the responses in the text group. Like it was all of a sudden a fire was lit and people couldn't wait to get down there. But so, so the entire group, um, you know, I got to witness love, but one in particular is, um, you know, when the men in the group, he got off of working nights and went nonstop cutting down trees and hauling them off and then went back to work. I mean, that's love. That is love. And, and he was doing it for someone he had never met or never heard of. Um, I think of, you know, how important it is in scripture to, that, that the Lord wants uh, widows and orphans to be cared for. And I think about my, my in-laws who started this mission organization called Be the Need. And I'm doing a, a shameless plug here. Um, they, they are in a slum in Soweto in Kenya. And they support an orphanage who, through their funding, the orphanage is able to do daily feedings for the children in that slum because many of the children don't get a hot meal at night because their parents are so addicted to this crazy strong alcohol. And that is so they are caring for children and they're caring for orphans. And it's just such a beautiful thing. So you can go to be the need. And seriously, they are feeding these kids daily. I got to go and witness what a need it is here. And they they rely on our funding. So go to their website and give. Be a part of that. 
also just m so many of my friends that will call and check on a person that they just connected with and they will know so much about what's going on in their life and they will weekly go check in on them and encourage them and just provide their needs you know like if one of them's sick they're going to send them food if one of them is feeling a little down they're going to send them scriptures just to watch that um something that frustrated me when I first got married as my own husband while he's not a tender lovey-dovey person to people on the outside he's more you know he's from the military and he's just harder the thing I got frustrated with him is if anyone, and I love this about him, so don't get me wrong, I absolutely love this about him, it would just be all the time, but that's his love language. Anytime someone needed him, he would drop whatever he's doing. Even if he was in the middle of a project, he would drop whatever he's doing and he would load up, no excuses, like, oh, I'll be there in five minutes and go help them. Um, and, you know, he's not a talker. He's not going to be that person that's going to call up and check on you. But if you need him, he will move away anything in his schedule to go and to physically labor for you. Um, one of the, la the last things on this is something that I saw. We just came off of our first Bible nerd sisterhood retreat. And oh, we're still just praising God for everything that happened. But something that God kind of gave me a vision um, at the end of this on our last night and it was a picture of a bunch of women lined up across you know in a straight line like shoulder to shoulder across the beach and our arms were on our hips and we were locked arms and he was showing me that that's really truly his design for the body of Christ that way if someone was weak the two people beside them had arms locked with them, and so they held them up. And I think that he was showing me that that's what happened this weekend and how it's necessary to be in this community of like-minded people for that very reason. So love was abounding here, and that is something that is so powerful. We read about love all through Scripture. The greatest commands is to love God and to love others. So really, truly Love is such a powerful spiritual thing. And so he's admonishing them for their great love that continues to increase. Let's see um, where I was with all of this. Um, oh, and uh, I just put on, on there for my notes for myself, the quickest way to grow in this is to follow someone who loves well and insert yourself in their life, learn from them, watch them. But what caused all this rapid growth of maturity in the flourishing and in the love, uh, the flourishing of their faith and of love, well, it was persecution. We, we read that in verse 4. It says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you. So Paul's saying, hey, me and my, my little group, we are boasting about you among God's churches, about your endurance in the faith and the persecutions and afflictions you endure. So this is another place where we, I mean, gosh, we're 14 minutes in. We are going to hang here. This is where we're going to spend the majority of the time because here's the deal. In our Western culture, in our American dream culture, you can be anything that you want to do and you can succeed and success is everything. That's what it teaches you. And so it's not really a fun, feel-good message to talk to Christians about tribulation and persecution. That is not going to grow a platform. That is not going to get donors to come in. And, hey, I'm speaking for myself, like, as a podcaster, you know, like, hey, tune in. We're going to talk about persecution. Hey, give to this ministry and help us stay on the air. And um, we're going to talk about persecution. Like, that is not something that people want to hear, but it's necessary. It is, in fact, 
Let's see. I've got notes all over the place. In Acts 14, Paul says it's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So, um, you know, we've talked about this before that Jesus says to follow me, you must pick up your cross. We have to crucify our flesh. Everything is about doing hard things. That's our family motto. Um, Newly had painted it in our old garage that this family does hard things. And part of it, part of life, it's part of life, but it's definitely present in a Christian life is persecutions and afflictions. We're going to look at what this, oh gosh, I am just jumping all over the place. So let me, let me, let me stay with my notes. Let's do that. I'll get to it. I'm going to add it myself. Um, let's talk about persecution for a minute. I think that this is important because, again, like I said, it doesn't sell, it doesn't create a popular platform, but it's necessary because if we view this incorrectly, we will be like this, well, Jesus gives a parable about the seeds that fall on the rocky ground, and when afflictions come, that will be plucked up. People, If people aren't warned, if people aren't taught, if people aren't educated about this, then when those afflictions come, people say, oh, I didn't sign up for this, peace out. And we want people that will endure just like this Thessalonian church. So for this church, the suffering started at their conversion. We um, we don't really see a physical death or martyrdom happening in this place. What it was was harassment. This harassment was very common in the Greco-Roman world, and these are the people that we saw harassment from. One, the Jews. We don't know what Jews they were, but we know that when Paul first entered Thessalonica, um, there was a synagogue, and so there was a group of Jewish people gathering and meeting, and we just know through Acts 17 that the Jew, these Jews are going to run Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town, and they are going to be a thorn in the side of this new Christian community. We also know that there's non-Christians here that are filled with resentment and offense when these people converted because now they're refusing to participate in normal social activities. They um, like going to the temples and offering sacrifice to the God. So here these new believers are becoming easy targets and they're being blamed on the earthquakes happening here, flooding, agricultural failures, and other natural disasters because they didn't enter the temple and appease the God. So it has to be the Christians that are causing all of these natural disasters. Also family members. We don't see it in the text, but we just know from these societies that when you turn away from traditional acts of worship of the gods, family members feel betrayed. You're breaking ancestral tradition. And most of the time you are ostracized. I met a woman, I was in North Carolina, North Carolina a couple of weeks ago at a conference and it was a time of prayer. And this woman prayed in the spirit and it was so beautiful for over an hour. It's just nonstop. And I mean, I mean, I remember thinking, good grief, this woman is a prayer warrior. You know, like after five minutes, I'm like, I don't have anything else to say or I'm tired. And it was late. And she was just praying in the spirit. So soon, I had no idea who was behind me. But it was soon as it was over, I turned around and I grabbed her and I said, my daughters are Eden and Salem. And I want you to pray for them. And she was such a beautiful woman. And she was, I believe, from India. And she um, was here in the States and had a, a radical encounter with God and converted, but her family has ostracized her. She is now a pastor in a local church um, that is um, has many different ethnicities and is doing mighty things for the kingdom, but 
she has been shamed out of her family and it's heartbreaking. So that is a common thing. So these that's part of the persecution. And then government officials, they're mad that these leading women have left the influential positions and have joined this early church. And so this word tribulation, it comes from the root word that means to crush under a weight. So just think about this in your life. Have you ever felt crushed under a weight? Have you ever felt pressed or squashed or squeezed? This can be outward difficulties, it, outward difficulties, or it could be emotional stress. I'm sorry that my tongue is just, I'm, I'm talking faster than my brain is thinking. It can be an emotional stress. This is something not mild, but it's great pressure or hardship. And we go, all of us go through these seasons of life where we feel it. Well, these, this, this root word that means tribulation and the crushing and the squeezing and the pressing and all these things, it is found in some normal everyday practices of the people of this time. And this is something that I really am going to always mention that the Lord uses things here on earth in the natural to show us spiritual things that we would not understand otherwise. And so a couple of ways that we can picture this, this tribulation, this pressing, this crushing is looking at the, um, whenever the harvest comes in for the wheat, there was a roller used to press the wheat. And a lot of times this would be, there were two different ways to do this, but one would be a heavy timber that had spikes placed in it. And it was to thresh corn or grain, and it separated the wheat from the chaff. Now, we know that the Lord uses the separation of the wheat from the chaff as an illustration of how we, as wheat, need to be separated from the world. And so what we see is this board with the spikes, and a lot of times it would be connected to an animal, and this room would be filled with the with the corn or the grain, and this board would go on top of it, but it'd be connected to an animal, and they would go in circles in this crushing, the crushing of their hooves, but also the crushing from the, the spikes and the weight of the wood would separate the wheat from the grain. It was purifying it. We also seen the same word used with the olive press. In this day, in Jesus's day, there would be these huge stones that they would place olives on and then another stone on top of it to squeeze and to press and to put pressure and to squash these olives so that the oil would flow out. The oil was also a physical picture that represented the Holy Spirit. That we, we, we correlate the anointing of the Holy Spirit with the anointing of olive oil. It was a, a picture in the natural of something happening in the spiritual. So we see time and time again and all through scripture that this pressing, I mean, Jesus in Gethsemane, where the, the garden of the olives was, was being pressed and crushed so that his blood could overflow and save the world. So something good, when we lean on God, when we press into God, that he, he doesn't cause these things, but he uses the broken things of this world that causes the crushing, that causes the pressing and the squeezing and the squashing to purify us. When you squeeze someone, what comes out is what is on the inside. So this isn't just if anyone's just walking along and they haven't put a lot of Jesus on the inside, 
um, you know, maybe they're just going through the motions. They're not feeding their spirit that it's not just an automatic, oh, when they're crushed, anointing oil is going to come out. No, it's when we put things on the inside and then God uses the things of this world that crush and put heavy pressure on us. What is in us will come out. And as a Christian, it needs to be the fragrance of Jesus's life. So we have to view this crushing as an asset that works on our character. I do want to to mention, and I'm going to flip over until I find this page, and I thought this was so interesting. In Jewish literature, so this is something found in Jewish literature of Jesus' day. This isn't just biblical. This is how everyone thought across the board all the time, that suffering was not a sign of God's rejection. In our culture, can we agree that when suffering comes, we all, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Oh, well, that this doesn't line up with the American dream. This doesn't line up with the prosperity gospel. God must be mad at me. I must have done something wrong to displease him. That's how we see it. We see it as a sign of God's rejection. In Jewish literature, it was clear that they did not see suffering as God's rejection. They saw it as a sign of God's acceptance. The elect's reward will be preserved in the age to come. What does that mean? Well, let me read verse 5 to you. Verse 5 says, It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy in God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. So on the day of the Lord, on judgment day, people who have not followed, in fact, there were two groups here that he mentions, um, let me let me look because I'm kind of skipping all along. Um, let's see. Okay, here we go. And in verse 9, it says, he, on the day of the Lord, he's going to take vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know him and those who didn't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So to me, I know that I'm not in full agreement, but it almost seems like there's two different people here, the people that did not know him, and it's not because they didn't have a chance to know him. They chose not to know him, and the people that maybe they did know him, but they weren't obeying the, the, the word of the Lord. That is going to be a day where judgment comes, and we will talk about that, but there's going to, it's hell. It's hell. But for us, for believers, what that judgment looks like, it's not the sins that we've committed because those have been dealt with on the cross once and for all, and now we're justified. We've been, we've already been, like the gavel has come down and we've been declared not guilty. What we will be judged on is our works. Did our works, did we operate and do those works because we wanted glorification here on earth? And if that's the case, then God will say, okay, well, you already got your, your prize. You already got your reward. But if we did it unto God for God to get the glory, we will receive an eternal reward. And that is the beauty of this Christian walk that we might have suffered in this world, but our character was being built and it is all for eternity. We will be counted worthy. We will receive our crown and we will get to throw it at the feet of Jesus. And that is where we're going to want to be. So we want to be purified on this side of eternity. Purification is something good and it's something loving and it's a sign of God's acceptance. So I want you to ask yourself right now, Am I feeling the crushing of this world? And I want you to say out loud, this is a sign of God's acceptance. 
but I do need you to feel yourself. If you're on this podcast, then you probably are. Fill yourself with his word. Fill yourself with worship. Fill yourself with Christian believers so that when you're pressed, something beautiful comes out. The wheat is being separated from the shaft. The anointing oil of the Lord is flowing out of you. Okay, so we're going into verse 6, and we're going to wrap up here. This is a little short chapter, but it's so full of goodness. It says, since it is righteous for God to replay with afflictions those who have afflicted you. This is a word. It's the principle of divine retribution, and there's a word, lex talionis, and it's where we get the term an eye for an eye. And this is frequently associated with the day of the Lord, which is in the future. But the Lord gives a specific warning. He warns us not to take all through the word. We are not to take vengeance. We are not to take, that that word is even wrong. We are not to take things into our own hands. God will punish persecutors in the future. And this is so important to know. Now, the penalty, the penalty, of eternal destruction from the is from la, la, la. let me okay i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself let's see none it says these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the lord's presence and from his glorious strength this this payment the, this acting of an eye for an eye the repay with affliction for those who afflicted you i love that he saves this to a future date, the day of the Lord, because what happens is he's allowing time for people to repent, for people to turn to him and change their ways. And again, if they do this, then their sins will go to the cross and they have been declared not guilty. This reminds me of my dad. Anytime that we were going to get some sort of a, a spanking, he had us go to our room for a period of time. And to me, it felt like torture, you know, like, let's just get it over with. But what I realized later in life is and not that the Lord has to do this, but he was calming down because he never wanted to punish out of anger. And he was giving us time to realize what we did. Well, Jesus has has put this day of vengeance at the end of time, and it gives unbelievers time to find him and to repent because what's going to happen is heavy. It's heavy. I'm going to read verse 9 again just to review. It says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. So this penalty is a place we call hell that is completely devoid of God. And this word vengeance that, that God will take out, I love this and I want you to hear me. This is not associated with vindictiveness. That is different. Those are two different words. So God is not a vindictive God. God is going to have vengeance. It's the idea of a firm administration of unwavering justice. God is just. The offender gets full justice, nothing less, but also nothing more. That's why we can't take it in our hands. We would distribute too much vengeance but God does nothing more and nothing less but exactly what that person 
deserved. But the beauty of his grace is he's allowing a lifetime until that day of the Lord comes for them to repent, to turn from their ways and get right with God. This destruction, I love, Dr. Constable said, this is not annihilation because this can't be everlasting. I didn't understand at the time. And this is why it's so important to study with other people. But one of my study partners, Patsy Stout, taught this and she taught this annihilation theory that there is this belief that you know, hell is fire and it's just going to burn up and then be no more. But no, here in this text, it is clear that this is an eternal destruction. It is eternal separation from God. It's the loss of everything worthwhile. It's the opposite of eternal life. It's the loss of God's presence and it is everlasting. Think of how hard this broken world is. And it is full of the Holy Spirit and God's work moving. So can you imagine a world in which it is completely devoid of God and light and anything good? We have got to share truth with others. And how do we do that? Verse 10, and we're wrapping up. Hang with me because this is so important. In verse 10, it says, In that day when he comes to be glorified by the saints and to be admired by all those who have believed because of our testimony, because our testimony among you was believed. It's all in this key word here, testimony. In Revelation, we're told that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, Jesus' death on the cross, and the word of of our testimony, the saints testimony this weekend at the beach retreat, the whole theme of the weekend was to share your story, your testimony. There's power in that. And for some reason we in the church have allowed pride to come in and we want to reveal ourselves. We want people to see us as perfect. And so we had anything yucky and it's just like an Instagram picture, but the church has been doing this forever, that we want it to look perfect. Sometimes when I see people posting about their perfect marriage and their perfect friendships and everything's perfect, and then I know truly what they're going through, it grieves my heart because they're portraying this one thing to the world when they're dying on the inside. And our testimonies cannot be like an Instagram picture. It has to be real. It has to be raw. It has to be authentic. So let me tell you, that unfortunately, you know, I've grown up in the church and we just want people to see our best side. And in Lisa Turkhurst's book, it's not supposed to be this way. She said, no one wants to follow perfection. Isn't it more encouraging to follow someone that has walked in your shoes and you're like, oh, wow, look what you're doing for the kingdom. And you had all of that baggage. If God can do that for you, then he can do it for me. Can you show me how? So as we were preparing for this retreat, I had some of my team members I went to and I said, I need you to give your testimony and I need it to be the real one. I need it to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. I need you to be raw and I need you to be transparent. And I am telling you, these girls understood the assignment. It did not come easy. I had one of my friends told me that she couldn't go on the retreat. She wanted to back out. When I started digging in, it was because she was she did not want to share her testimony. And while I'm never going to make anybody do anything, I mean, immediately I was like, just come. Come then. Don't do it. You know, if you're not ready, I just challenge you. 
Like let, let's, let's move past this. Let's, let's share your testimony. Let's see what God can do with it. I had another one that messaged me that she had to sit down with her husband and share some things with him because things that she thought she would carry to her grave and never share. And she, she understood the assignment. She shared with her husband first things that she would be sharing. And then she told us, um, we had others that, you know, hey, let me let me tell my children before I reveal this. But I was blown away at the courage that these women took to share their testimony. And I knew just by faith that this was important and that testimonies were powerful. And actually, Holy Spirit power is released when we release these testimonies. But I'd never really truly witnessed it with my own eyes on this scale. And as the weekend overflowed... The work of the Holy Spirit just blew all of us away. And on that last night, we had people, you know, guests that were at the retreat that said, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to tell my story. And what was so beautiful is in this context, it was you saw freedom in these women. You saw that like things that the enemy had lied and used to muffle them or to hold them back, like shackles around their ankles. You saw that released as they released their testimony. And another thing that was mind blowing is the testimonies that we heard from the women who heard others. One of them came forward and said, I didn't even realize that this deep healing that the Lord did in me this weekend was even a thing. I knew that God could heal, but I had band-aid Jesus on, but he went in this weekend and he healed places that I didn't know were capable of being healed. He healed places that I didn't even know I was still wounded. So the power of our testimony is what will overcome. And that's how we reach a world. That is these people that you think would never come to Jesus. If they hear your testimony through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, this is not, we did talk about casting our pearls among swine. This isn't for you to just go out and share these deep personal things that can be used against you without the unction of the Holy Spirit, without the pressing of the Holy Spirit, but we were in tune with him. We listen to him. And when he says share, we obey, but how we can walk in obedience first is we can share with the people who love us and we will practice and we will build our confidence and then we can easily release it when the Holy Spirit tells us. So I want to encourage you this day. I know that this God's judgment and this fire and and hell is a heavy thing and it needs to be heavy in our lives. It needs to be heavy because we need to go out and reach a lost world. And how we do that is sharing our testimony and walking in the spirit day. We need our love to increase. We need our faith to flourish and we need to walk as people who are not truly in this world that we are just passing through and we have a mission while we are passing through. It has been a long, (laughs) this little bitty chapter has been long. We're going on 38 minutes. I'm going to close here. We'll see you next week with chapter two. Share this with your friends who need to hear because this is time to get serious. We really are in the last days and it is time to get serious and you never know with what your, who your story can impact. So I just pray that you go in grace and peace, share your story. We're going to read chapter two, which is a doozy. It scares me. I, I'm going to study 
and I am going to pull out what I am confident in teaching and I probably won't touch the rest because I feel like this is going to be months of study to fully understand. But I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.